What's up, everybody? Y'all doing all right this morning? All right, thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate you being here, whether you're doing that at one of our campuses or joining us online. I hope you're doing okay. And if you're not, you know what? It's okay not to be okay. And I'm really glad that you've chosen to be here, to worship with us, to be a part of the Cedar Creek Church family. And I just have to tell you, this past Wednesday night was amazing. This night for Jesus, yeah, we could celebrate that. Just so amazing to see churches from all around our community, from all kinds of flavors and shapes and sizes and colors, just come together for one purpose, and that is to say thank you, Jesus, to worship His name. And what an amazing night that was. I know many of you have asked, are we going to be a part of that again? Well, uh, I think the answer to that is yes. The Leadership Alliance is going to be meeting. That's the group of pastors from all over the community going to be meeting this Thursday morning. And we'll just see where God wants to take it. But I'm pretty sure something like that needs to be done many, many times. So I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to us being able to be a part of it. I'm excited that you're here today because we are continuing in this journey we've been in. For the last several weeks, in fact, believe it or not, we are actually at the halfway point in our Living Your Blessed Life journey. Now, for those of you who are new or you've just been out for the last couple of weeks, here's what we've been doing. We've been exploring how to experience God's blessings in our lives, how to live the type of life that God blesses. And to help us do that, we've been looking at these eight opening statements of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And these eight statements really show us the keys to a blessed life. Eight very specific, practical things that every one of us can do to experience God's blessings in our lives. And so today we're going to look at the fourth beatitude. Now I want to begin this morning with a question. Have any of you ever gotten up in the night hungry, gone into the kitchen, opened the refrigerator door to get something to eat, and then ended up just standing there staring into the refrigerator. I mean, you know you're hungry, and the fridge is full, but you just don't know what it is that will satisfy you. Anybody ever had that experience? Come on, let me see your hands. Yes, those of you that didn't raise your hands are either lying or you have one of those alarms on your fridge, you know, that would wake up the whole family. In some ways, I think that is a metaphor for our lives. We all are hungry for something. We all have an emptiness. We, we all know that we need to be more fulfilled in our lives. And we are surrounded by things that claim they can fulfill us. And yet they often, almost always, leave us empty. This is not a new concept. In fact, there's an entire book in the Old Testament about this very thing. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. It was written by a guy named Solomon as sort of a, a midlife crisis moment, and he talked about feeling empty and wanting to be fulfilled and, and pursuing different things to fulfill his life. He said, first of all, I pursued wisdom and knowledge. You know, I read every book that could be read, and with all the wisdom of the world gained, I still felt empty. 
And so then he said, well, then I pursued wealth, maybe material things, and he amassed unbelievable wealth. Solomon was the most wealthy man who ever lived in his day. In fact, when the queen of Sheba from Africa came to visit, she said the, the amount of wealth that Solomon had was overwhelming. Now, let me tell you something. If you're wealthy enough to impress a queen, you got some bank And yet Solomon said, with all that wealth, it was still meaningless. It was still empty. And so maybe he said it's in pleasure. And so he pursued pleasure. And and he filled up his palace with hundreds, if not thousands, of the most beautiful women in the land. He had his own harem. He had every pleasure life could offer. And he said, yet in that pleasure, I still felt empty. And then he pursued achievement. Not only was he the king of his land, but he did all these amazing public works projects, built all these things, did all these amazing great things for his nation and his people. And he said, yet even that left me empty. And I think that's a struggle we all face. In fact, Jesus also addresses this issue in this fourth beatitude. But Jesus not only tells us that there's a hunger for more in life, Jesus tells us how to fill that void. Notice Matthew 5, 6, there on the top of your outline. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I want you to circle the word righteousness And I want you to circle the word filled. And then I want you to connect those two words with a line. Just connect those two words. Because Jesus is saying that the only fulfillment, true fulfillment in life comes from righteousness. Jesus is saying that the blessing of being fulfilled in life is desiring the right And so this morning, I want to do two things. First, I just want to start out by talking about what is righteousness. What is this thing we are to hunger and thirst for? And then secondly, I want to spend some time talking about how to develop a desire for it. How to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So let's get started. First of all, what is righteousness? What would you put in that blank on your program? What do you think of when you hear that word righteousness or being righteous. I think most of us would immediately think about our behaviors. Being righteous is doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. And while certainly that is a small aspect of righteousness, what the Bible says is that the heart of righteousness is less about my behaviors for God And more about my position with God. What righteousness simply means is being right with God. Write that down. Righteousness is being right with God. It's being in a right relationship with God. And here's the thing. That's not something that we can do for ourselves. It's something that God has to do for us. We cannot be righteous So God has made us righteous. Look at Romans 1.17 there on your outline. It says, the good news shows how God makes people right with himself. And that begins and ends not with behavior, but with faith. See, righteousness is not something 
I can do on my own. I can't do anything to make myself acceptable, right with God. And so God has done what I could not do to make me right with him. You you know, we have this saying kind of in our vernacular. We often say, you know what, I got to get right with God. Or more often we look at other people and say, you need to get right with God. You ever done that? Somebody get on your nerves like, you need to get right with God. Or that person on Facebook needs to get right with God. Or that politician or that leader, whoever, they need to get right with God. We talk about being right, getting right with God all the time. But what we don't understand is it's not what we do, it's what God has done for us. In fact, that is the difference between being a Christ follower and every other world religion. Every other world religion is about do, what I can do to make myself right with God. And and each one has their own to-do list. You know, do these things, don't do these things. They all have different lists, but they all teach the same thing, that you've got to do these things to get right with God. Christianity is summed up in the word done. It's not about what I can do. It's what God has already done for me. In fact, look back up at that verse, Romans 1.17. Circle the phrase, good news. Circle that. That is the word gospel. You've heard gospel before, right? Like gospel singing or gospel preaching. Gospel simply means good news. The gospel is the good news of that God has done for me what I could not do for myself. What are you talking about, Philip? Well, the reality is that we are all separated from God by our sin, by our failures. None of us are perfect. I've never met a person who claimed to be perfect. We, We all recognize that we are imperfect people. The problem is God is perfect. He is completely holy and perfect. And we cannot be in relationship with a holy and perfect God with our imperfections. It just doesn't work. And so what God did for us was he sent his only son Jesus into this world to live a sinless life. But more importantly to die a sacrificial death. That's the whole reason Jesus was crucified on the cross, not because he politically stirred up the religious leaders. He wasn't put on the cross because he had threatened, you know, Caesar's reign or Pilate's control of Judea. He went to the cross for one reason and one reason only, to pay a debt we owed that we could never pay. That's why he shed his blood. And when you receive that by faith, when you allow that not to just be intellectual knowledge that, oh, Jesus died for me and he's my Savior, but when you allow that to control the core of your heart and who you are, when you go through life recognizing he has done for me what I could not do for myself, when you receive that by faith, you are made right With God. In that moment, you become righteous, not in your own behavior, but in receiving what God has done. Look at Romans 3:22. It says, God makes people right with Himself 
through what? What does that say? Their faith in Jesus Christ. You catch that? It's not just faith in God. It's not just believing that God exists or believing that God loves me or believing that God has a purpose and a plan for my life. It is believing that through Jesus' death, I have been made right with God, receiving that by faith. So this is very personal, but I want to ask you this question because I really do care about you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever received by faith what God has done for you through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection? Again, I'm not talking about intellectually assenting to it. I'm talking about personally allowing it to transform your life from the inside out. If you've never done that, I just I want to pause right now in the middle of this message and give you an opportunity to do that. You know, a lot of times, preachers, we do this at the end of the sermon. I don't want to wait that long. The next two minutes has not been promised to us, let alone tomorrow. So I just want to do that. Just all of our campuses, not going to embarrass anybody, not going to have you stand up, raise your hand, but just close your eyes. Just right now, just let the distractions go. This is just between you and God. If you're here this morning, maybe you've been in church your whole life and you've been trying to get right with God through your performance and behaviors. Or maybe this is the first time you've ever been in church, the first time you've ever heard this great news of the gospel. Wherever you are, if you have never done that, would you just do that right now? You could just say quietly in your heart, but just say to God right now, thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you for doing for me what I could not do for myself. I want to receive that by faith right now. I want to receive that forgiveness. I admit my sin. I admit that I am imperfect. And I recognize that you are perfect, God. And I want to be right with you. So today, Lord, I give my life to you. I invite you into my heart, into the center of my being for you to transform me. And I want to live following you, Jesus, with every step moving forward. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, let's celebrate those that prayed that right now for the first time. Yeah. And hey, if you did that, If that was your step, your next step spiritually, you got a card when you came in. Everybody, get your card out and tear the little flap off. We're not going to embarrass anybody, so let's all do it together. Come on, I can see you people. I know you're not. I can see you at the west and the ridge. So go ahead and tear that off. And then if you made that decision this morning, just on the front side of that little tear off, there's a little orange box that said, I'd like to talk with someone about a personal relationship with Jesus. Would you check that if you made that decision for the first time today? And listen, we are not going to show up at your house. We're not going to send you a bunch of literature in the mail. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get a call this week from one of our pastors just to help you, just to ask you, how can we come alongside you? How can we begin to help you walk in this righteousness, this new position of being 
right with God. You got plenty of time to fill it out. We won't ask for it back till the end of the service when the baskets are passed at all of our campuses. So now, the first step to getting right with God is putting our faith in Jesus, but it doesn't end there. It's the first step, not the final step. Because notice Jesus said the key to living your blessed life is not just being right with God, but it's having a hunger and a thirst to stay right with God, to desire righteousness on a daily basis. Because see, that's the thing about righteousness. It is both a relationship and a lifestyle. It is a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, but it is a lifestyle that is driven by a heart to follow him. And what I want to do is spend these last few minutes of our time together this morning exploring how do you keep hungry and thirsty? How do you maintain that spiritual appetite? Because, you know, doctors know a loss of appetite is a symptom of sickness. If you lose your appetite, there, there's something going on that's not right. Same thing spiritually. If over time you start to lose your appetite for being right with God, staying in a relationship with Him, staying close to Him, there's some underlying issues going on. And so these five things I want us to quickly look at this morning, I think really help us keep that appetite alive. So let's get started. Number one, First thing I need to do is just recognize how much God loves me. Recognize how much God loves me. You know, as a pastor, I will often talk to people who are struggling spiritually. They're just like, Philip, you know, I know I need to, you know, spend time in God's Word every day. Spend time in prayer. I know I need to be a part of corporate worship on Sundays. I I know I need to be connected in authentic community. I know all these things that I'm supposed to do, but I just don't do them. And when they're really honest, they'll say, because I don't really want to do them. I don't have a desire to do them. And usually what they'll say is, I guess I just don't love Jesus enough. And my answer is always the same. The problem isn't that you don't love Jesus enough. The problem is you don't understand how much he loves you. Because when you understand how much God loves you, you want to be with him. Who doesn't want to be around somebody who's crazy about them? Somebody who thinks they're amazing and unique and interesting. God feels that way about all of us. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. He says, I pray that you will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love. And that you will be able to know that love. Then, notice the result. Then you can be filled with the fullness of God. That's why so many of the worship songs we sing on Sunday mornings are about how much God loves us. We sing weekly about his overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. We talk about his love being like a hurricane and we're a tree. We talk about his love like waves in an ocean crashing over us. Why do we sing so often about God's love for us? It's not so we can pat ourselves on the back and feel good when we walk out of here. It's so that in understanding how much God loves us, we are drawn and desire and hunger to be closer to him. 
Number two, the second thing you got to do to maintain a spiritual appetite is you got to avoid junk food. You got to avoid the junk food. See, maybe the reason you don't hunger and thirst for a deeper relationship with God is because you're filling up your life and your time and your mind with things that don't satisfy. Oh, they may make you feel better in the moment, but they don't have any long-term fulfillment, right? It's like going to a Mexican restaurant. I don't think I'm the only one this happens to. Every time I go to a Mexican restaurant, I'm hungry when I go in, and I pick something off the menu based on the picture that really looks good, and I order it, and what do they do while you're waiting on your order? They bring free chips and salsa. Free. Who's not going to eat free chips and salsa? So I start pigging out, and you know what? If you finish the basket before your order comes, you know what they do? They bring you another one. And it never fails that by the time the meal I really wanted shows up, I'm stuffed. I end up taking the whole thing home in a doggy bag because I'm filling up on things that don't really satisfy. See, feeding on the wrong things can keep me from being hungry for the right things. Notice this verse from Isaiah 55 too. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says, why work for something that doesn't really satisfy you? What a question, right? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy you? Listen closely to me. Listen closely to me. Be close to me and you will eat what is good and your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies you. See, the more room I leave for God in my life, the more he fills up my life. What junk are you filling up on? See, this junk food, I'm not talking about, you know, the bad, mean, nasty, evil things. You're not out robbing banks. That's not what's keeping you from being in a close relationship with God. But you're filling your time and your mind and your schedule up with something. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's the pursuit of a better 401k and you're just obsessed with the market week in and week out, the more you fill your life up with stuff that doesn't really satisfy, the less hungry you'll be for more of God. Number three, third thing to help me maintain a spiritual appetite is to make knowing God my priority. To make knowing God my priority. To make that the number one goal of my life. My number one goal is to know God. Now notice, I said knowing God, not knowing about God. Because they are not the same thing. And I think that's where many of us, especially those of us who have been in the church and been followers of Jesus for a long time, we get focused on learning about God, but we don't actually spend time with. God. And there's a difference. Now, please, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that theology doesn't matter. I'm not saying that the facts and truth about God are irrelevant. They are not. 
They are unbelievably relevant. You need to know what God is really like. Not based on culture or self-help books, but based on the truth of God's word about himself. You need to know about God, but that is not the end goal. You need to know about God so that you can know him better. I'll tell you, there's a great example of this in the Old Testament. David, the young shepherd boy who became king, is called by God a man after my own heart. David is said to be a man after God's heart. What does that mean? It means that he wanted to know God more. He wanted to know what was in God's heart. And look at what he writes, Psalm 63, 1. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. You know, David wrote this psalm in the desert. And he compared the need for water in the desert to his desire to know God. He also wrote, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for thee. And listen, this word desert deer. He's not talking about the little deer we have here running around in the shady pine forest, sipping on the bubbly brooks that are everywhere. He's talking about a desert, a deer desperately trying to find one little source of water in the desert. That kind of desire to just know God gives you a spiritual appetite. Some of you are in the desert right now. Some of you are in the desert in your marriage. Some of you are in a career desert right now. Some of you are in a financial desert, and you don't know how you're going to get through next week. Well, let me just tell you, the best thing you can do in the desert moments of life is desire God. Desire, not desire God to fix your problems. I'm not talking about desiring the healing. I'm talking about desiring to know the healer, to know him. Because when you pursue knowing him, he takes care of every other need you have. That's why Jesus said, seek God first, and all these other things will be taken care of that. If you, you really want to be fulfilled in life, then you got to hunger and thirst for a right relationship with God. Number four, the fourth thing I can do to increase my spiritual appetite is to engage daily in God's Word. To engage daily in God's Word. Do you know the, the metaphor that the Bible uses most often? To describe itself, food. The Bible often describes itself as food. It's it's bread, it's milk, it's meat, it's honey. Do you know why? It's not just pretty poetic words. It describes how the Bible is meant to be used. Daily food for our souls. This is soul food. This is what we feed our souls on. We have to daily fill our lives with the truth of God. Notice I said engage daily. 
not just read. I'm not talking about just reading the word and checking the box and saying, done. I'm not just talking about memorizing for the sake of memorizing to get a gold star in God's army. I'm talking about recognizing how desperately we need this truth and then doing everything I can to soak it into my life. 1 Peter 2.2 says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Circle that, full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. See, God's Word doesn't just get you right with Him. God's Word helps you stay in a right relationship with Him. That's why during this series and study, we've been doing this daily reading plans together through the Bible app, the Keys to a Blessed Life daily devotion. And many of you, I hope all of you, have been following along and doing those every day. But here's my question. Are you just reading it or are you engaging with it? Are you just reading it and pushing the arrows at the bottom right of the screen and then watching it check the box and your little white line go across and go, all right, I'm done, task fulfilled. That's trying to earn righteousness instead of hungering and living in his righteousness. And this, by the way, that daily Bible reading is going to end in a couple of weeks. It's going to end before we finish this series and study. What are you going to do then? Are you going to go, okay, done? No. Pick another plan. Get another study. Get something. The whole purpose in doing this was to create this habit so that it would become a daily part, so that we would daily feed in God's Word. Don't let that habit in with that reading plan. And then finally, number five. You probably already know this fill-in. The fifth way to stay hungry is do life in authentic community. Do life in authentic community. You've got to connect with other believers. You know why? Because appetite is influenced by association. Appetite is influenced by association. You get a bunch of teenage boys together. One of them says, hey, man, I'm hungry for pizza. Guess what? Everybody's hungry then, right? Yeah, let's all go eat. Or if I stand up here and say, I am lusting after a hot fresh Krispy Kreme donut and a big cold glass of milk. What is that doing to you? Your appetite is being influenced by your association. Same thing's true with your spiritual appetite. If you're hanging out with people who are just, you know, all, all they ever talk about is sports and their favorite team, or you're hanging out with people who all they ever talk about or think about is politics or the stock market, guess what? That's what your appetite's going to be for. That's why the Bible tells us in Proverbs 2.20, it says, so walk in the way of good people and stay on the path of righteous people. Who you walk with, influences the direction you're heading. Now listen, I'm not talking about holy huddles where we gather up all the perfect little Christian people and get in our little Bible study and pat each other on the back and tell each other how perfect we are. No, that's not what I'm talking about. The Bible's very clear. We should be salt and light in our world. In fact, we talked about this last week. We build relationships with people who are not believers so that we can connect and share the good news of the gospel. What I'm talking about are the anchor relationships in your life. 
Who are the anchor relationships in your life? Who are the people that you come to regularly and connect for support, for encouragement, for accountability? you got to have that because that will determine the direction of your life. Listen, if you are not connected, please, please don't let another day, let alone another week, go by without reaching out. Stop by the Welcome Center or wherever it is on your campus where they help people get connected. Use the app. Do whatever you got to do. And let me just tell you, when you reach out to get connected, expect your enemy, the devil, to come against you. You're going to fill out a car and it's going to get lost. Nobody's going to call you. And you go, they don't really care about connect. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some more. You know, it's never going to work. Or you're in a group or you've been in a group and had a bad experience. Do not let those things keep you from connecting with other believers who, by the way, are just as broken and jacked up as you are, as I am. But together we are truly better. Do life in community and it will increase your appetite for righteousness in your life. So let me close with this one question. How blessed do you want to be? I mean, really. How much of God's blessings do you really want in your life? Because according to Jesus, the only limit on God's blessings in your life are the level to which you will hunger and thirst for him. Blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning for this truth of the gospel and for those who have received it by faith. Father, I pray that you would give them the courage to take the next step to answer that phone call when it comes from a pastor and be willing to explore this journey of faith. And Father, I pray for those of us here this morning who are in a right relationship with you through our faith in Jesus, but we've lost the hunger. We no longer thirst for it as we used to. We've allowed busyness and the priorities of others and the world around us and we have become hungry for lesser things and we are starving spiritually. Oh, we're fat with finances. We're we're fat with material possessions. We're we're fat with activity and we're, we're fat with success in our career. But that emptiness leaves us standing at the fridge looking And wondering what will really satisfy. Oh God, would you convict us with your Holy Spirit? Would you move us to be intentional about doing the things that increase our appetite of being right with you? In Jesus' name, amen.